The following views and opinions expressed on Joy Has Questions podcast are not to be confused and or affiliated with any other corporations, companies, businesses, LLCs, and any other acronym that you can possibly think of. Basically, these are my own opinions on my own platform. And now everybody, let's get on with the show. Hey, good people. It's your girl Joy Has Questions, dropping some new fire for you all to listen to for the week. Starting with, you guessed it, you better know. This brother had so much information in terms of his life, also his family struggle, that I'm not even going to really get too deep in terms of like what made him so popping. Even if he had done nothing else with his life, just looking at what his family overcame, their commitment to themselves to be free in a country that completely was showing like their trash selves in the sense of slavery. We think it's amazing. It's great for economy. Um, And I know y'all are like, who the hell are y'all talking about? So for this week, you better know. I am giving a big head nod to the inventor Lewis Latimer. This young king was born in Chelsea, Massachusetts on September 4th, 1948, six years after his parents George and Rebecca Latimer ran away from slavery. Now, I got this information from invention.si.edu. Definitely did some cross-references. It was totally reputable, but I just wanted to give like a shout out in terms of like where I really did my research. Now, this is what was so crazy. So looking at their lives, his parents and the fact that they were determined to be free. They used colorism and stupidity of that day and age to basically make their escape. So the father, George, was able to pose as a plantation owner with the darker-skinned Rebecca as his slave. So he basically did what actually a lot of African-Americans did. There are statistics that show that a lot of African-Americans technically were slave owners. But for those who could afford it, that also at times was an opportunity for them to keep their families together. Because if I'm free and I buy my, basically my mom or my aunt or my siblings, I now am responsible or the owner for my family. So even though it might on paper look, you can twist data to mean anything. It might look like African-Americans owned one another, but not every case was them, you know, on some Uncle Ruckus bullshit. Getting back to George and Rebecca, they fled to Boston and he was recognized as a fugitive and then was jailed while his wife was taken to a hiding place. Now, this caught the ear of Frederick Douglass, if you don't look, there's Google, Bing, Yahoo, Ask G's. I'm not even going into how epic Frederick Douglass was. But he became an abolitionist, an activist, fighting against the struggle and the humanity of slavery. And so he heard of what happened and having formally escaped to Massachusetts himself several years earlier, he alongside abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison spoke against George's arrest or Lewis Latimer's father. The trial caused a big stir and George was almost deported, if you will, back to Virginia. But there was so much agitation in Boston that a African-American minister paid $400 for his release and was like leave this black man alone let him go back to his family. No it didn't set George and Rebecca in like this financially you know ducktails were in the money type lifestyle but they were willing to do whatever to be free and that's what I thought was so amazing. So Lewis was one of three sons and then also they had a sister looking at him as the youngest child he instantly was deemed as kind 
kind of like a prodigy in the sense that he was an excellent student who loved to read and draw. He actually has two poems, you guys, that are really phenomenal. One entitled Friends and the other entitled Yvonne Venus. So definitely was tapping into his Maslow hierarchy of needs, being cultured, having his own self-worth. And that's something that I really thought was like amazing looking into him and his backstory. He also was alive for the time that the Supreme Court ruled that Dred Scott could not be considered free, although he had been living in a free state forever. Um, his father soon disappeared after that decision became known. So looking at how, if you want to talk about systematic oppression, how families, especially black families, have been torn apart since the beginning that their baby toe crossed over into that good old Atlantic. Um, we're looking at the transatlantic slave trade. Having to find a way to help his mother, the fact that they now she was a single parent, he lied about his age and then joined the army, or I should say the Navy in 1864 and then made it through the Civil War and was honorably discharged. He returned to Boston for employment. And the reason why it was so amazing looking at his life, he was a self-taught engineer, if you will. He basically taught himself mechanical drawing and he was so good at it that his drawings actually were considered works of art upon themselves. So fast forwarding into his life, he's getting all these different opportunities and looks, if you will. So there was an explosion of inventions and new uses of technology. It was like literally the industrial age, if you will. And so Latimer met Alexander Graham Bell, like who just casually stumbles upon the man who invented the telephone. And so he basically showed him what his idea was for the telephone and hired Latimer to draw the plans for it. So Bell was in a race to have his invention patented before anybody else patented it. Because you know, at the end of the day, you can make it first, but if somebody else legally takes credit for it, it's a wrap. I've discussed that many times before on the show equity, you've got to have it. Latimer gave Bell several blueprints and then the expertise in submitting the applications that allowed him to file his patent on February 14th, 1876. He better have gotten some coins for this. Father God. Um, So in 1880, Latimer began working as a mechanical draftsman for Hiram Maxim, who was the founder of the U.S. Electric Lighting Company in Brooklyn, New York. Long story short, this man had his finger on so many inventions that I just, I cannot even begin to touch it. He basically also found his way into the inner circle of Thomas Edison, working for him like in 1884. And then also the reason why it was so important that he worked for him is because Latimer was critical because he had such a thorough knowledge of electrical lighting and power. He guided Edison through the process of filing patents and making sure that they were filed properly at the US patent office. Now. He became Edison's patent investigator and the expert witness in cases against persons trying to benefit from Edison's inventions without legal permission. There are a lot of times, and I'm not saying this specifically as a slight to white people, but when you're in a position of power, how many times have we seen somebody else that truly has to explain to the person who owns it how their shit actually works? Not saying that Edison was completely clueless. He wasn't. He definitely was an inventor. But here he was truly leveraging the skills of this black man. And I don't feel that it was a situation like, I didn't see him being like, yo, if you do this for me, not only am I going to pay you, but I'm also going to give you 3% of the company. These are the things that I'm like, when it comes down to the contributions that we have made, we definitely have to hold our heads high and talk our shit for our ancestors who pretty much were just doing what they needed to do to survive, but to also make a difference. Long story short, this man worked for a patent consultant firm until 1922 when he began to have failing eyesight. 
sight. And then his health truly did begin to fail following the death of his beloved wife, Mary Wilson Latimer in 1924. This was incredible to see how he shifted, how he started like really tapping into his creative side, his sensitive side, how he started writing poetry, how he basically had a book of poems that his daughters had printed in 1925 in honor of his 77th birthday. Um, looking at him and everything that he did, I need this as a movie. I need this as a movie. He passed on December 11th, 1928, and leaving the legacy of being a, a to me, one of the original creative technologists of his time. So definitely wanted to send uh, a shout out, a head nod, a salute, lighting a candle, whatever you want to call it, to this soldier who really, really was just black excellence through and through. And now let's get to the rest of Joy Has Questions. Hey everybody, it's your girl Joy Has Questions and I'm over here having a complete like nostalgia moment right now. This is one of my favorite dudes from my old uh, immediate, actually let me not say the name because I'm like I ain't trying to get sued. <laughs> yeah, we will. Yeah, I'll just dumb. put it that way. Uh, but now, in a sense, one of my favorite people from when I was interning at good old TV stations in Chicago learned the most from this brother. We would be out freezing at like 3, 4 o'clock in the mm-hmm. morning looking like black people are not built for this. But yeah. we still made it happen. Yep. Um, I have one of the most dopest filmmakers right now in the city of Chicago. I have Dante Diesel in the building. Hi, Dante. Hi, Joy. How you doing? <laughs> How you doing? Long time no see. I know. I know. <laughs> God, I was so little. <laughs> but no, I am so happy to have you on the show, everything that you're doing, and to have everyone like really hear the stride, or I should say listen to the strides that you're making, how you are being a creative technologist and really leveraging it to create dope, beautiful bodies of work for our people to celebrate. So I'm, I'm glad you said creative technologists. I love it. Like the, the technology is key for this. I, I think it's something, and I say it all the time, I didn't coin that phrase, but I, when I really look at like Gen Xers, Millennials, mm. Centennials, the ones now coming up after me wow, and my yeah, generation, my kids, right, you know, it's <laughs> they may not necessarily know like the technical terms, but these kids mm. out here making whole ass like strategies mm. and, and SEO optimizations, I wish I could get my hashtag games. <laughs> Let me tell you something, my life I'm, changed with two things. Canva and Visco. You couldn't tell me shit after I had them two apps. See, I, I, I need to get into this Forex stuff and everybody getting all this stuff and sitting at home making money. I'm like, how is y'all not working? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sitting like, Daddy, this is a job. Do you yeah. see what I'm pulling in? Like mm-hmm. influencers or, you know, people that really are leveraging this new technology are, are cashing mm-hmm. out. And even if it's a matter of you in terms of like the filmmaking that you're doing, like you clearly are moving in that direction of leveraging it. So. Yeah. Let's hop right into it. Um, so I know you personally as being one of the dopest cameramen to come out of you know the station that we worked at. You still are there, but just so that the people have a little bit of background, like tell them about yourself. Like what what side of the city are you from? But <laughs> <laughs> you took a deep breath because yes, I, I do represent the west side of Chicago. Um, we not gonna hold it against my them, parents. Y'all. Still live on the west side of Chicago, so and I, and like I was there a few days ago. So yeah, I still represent the west side of Chicago. Big ups to Madison. I ain't gonna you be know, shady. Though, <laughs> like, you know, I'm from the Austin area, Austin neighborhood. So okay, cool, cool, cool. You know, I live in the suburbs now, but 
Yeah. As long as you remember your roots. Oh, yeah. I'm always going to remember my roots. Okay. That's all that you matters. See, you'll see me occasionally wearing the product of Chicago hats. Is uh, just because I am a product of Chicago. Come through with that good old Pelly Pelly jacket. Let me just dust this off real <laughs> nah, quick. I ain't never, I ain't never rock no Pelly. Well, no, I take that back. I do have a Pelly. See, look at you. There's not a black man Ouch. in this city. I just realized that I do have a Pelly. It's not a leather Pelly though. It's okay. like a like a members only style Pelly. Yeah, I know. As long as you remember where you came from. This is West Side. Yeah, I used to rock the I used to rock the fro with the curls and stuff and. <laughs> <laughs> and and the A ones and all that. I just saw Mike yeah. from the wood pop in my head. I just I I was I was you know I yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so that's dope. Like being a, a hometown kid, looking at how this city has basically you know, it always has been a booming metropolis, especially for mm-hmm. like the African American community on the South and West Side, respectively. But were you always just you know into like film or technology like what in the world like got you into it to be like you know what (laughs) one day i'm gonna be popping (laughs) i used to play with legos (laughs) so yeah so uh to be real with you when i was a kid i used to do two things i used to draw and i used to play with legos and i was always trying to create something and so I knew, uh, I knew when I was young that that me 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 being creative was what I was gonna have to do when I got older. That was gonna be one of my things. So um, when I was about eleven or twelve, I started thinking like, man, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I and I started thinking I want to be a architect. Hmm. I said I want I want to be architect. So I like to build. I used to like to draw like I used to like to draw like crazy stuff like football stadiums and and like basketball courts and I used to like want to design that kind of stuff you know gym shoes and all that stuff and uh you know somebody in my family told me well you know you need a lot of math and I'm like you know uh I, and I was good at math don't get really? me I was, I was always I was always just like naturally like I was a couple years ahead ahead in math anytime I took the standardized test I always tested like two, three years ahead, you know, because <laughs> I was lucky. That's, that's probably because my my dad taught me how to gamble. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when you roll seven, right, you cannot yeah. crap out. Well, just well, my father owns horses, but we gonna we gonna get back to that. Yeah, hold on, so, wait a second. That is, yeah, we gonna touch on that. We'll get back to that. <laughs> so he taught me, but he he did teach me about numbers. But at the same time, I, I realized that I wanted to be creative. I didn't want to do something where I just crunch numbers all day. And mm. so um, I, I thought like, okay, well, if you're in architecture, you need you no know, so all this math. I don't really want to have to deal with that. <laughs> you just so, want the creative part of right. it. And so I, and so I started like realizing that I like movies and I like, you know, music videos, which were huge back then. You know, I used to watch rap city. I used to watch, uh, Yo MTV raps and video vibrations and video soul, all that stuff. And so I, I realized one, I like I like music videos and I like the storyline of music videos. And when they I, had them. Yeah, and I try to bring that back because I still do music videos occasionally. Okay. Uh but I also realized that I like movies. I used to watch um a lot of old school movies like and I ain't even talking about the eighties movies because I was I was a kid in the eighties and mm-hmm. I was watching like Shirley Temple movies and you know all the it's stuff. Jingles, yeah, yes. right. I was watching all that stuff from the, you know, the the forties and like 50s. black and white cinema. Yeah, and I just thought that that era was so dope, and uh, to this day it still influences me. Some you know when I see certain films. 
even with Dolomite. Dolomite, like, I watched Dolomite because my brother had the tape, and he pro- I probably shouldn't have been watching it when I was the <laughs> age I was. But so, yeah, Dolomite was one of those things. And, and But I just I knew I wanted to be creative, though. It's interesting that you say that in terms of pulling from those those type of movies or that genre mm-hmm. because like I had older parents so it's like mm-hmm. I am actually obsessive over Alfred Hitchcock yep. and the thing is he mm-hmm. did revolutionize a lot of these like even some of these camera techniques that we yep. still see today like oh yeah to this day Rear Window is one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. and it literally takes place in two places a courtyard. Mm-hmm. In his living room. Yeah. And it's it's just really shows like the power of like storytelling or how yeah. you can you don't need sometimes like a whole bunch in order to tell a compelling no. story. And some things are timeless too, like a time to kill is uh oh not time not a time to kill. I was so say, I'm, that's I, my jam. That, that's, <laughs> that, I'm, I'm sorry, I am getting them mixed up. But it's similar to uh To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh yeah. To Act Kill a Mockingbird, mentioned. it was one of those films that I watched. Like I think I watched it in film school. You know, when I when I went, I took film class. I didn't necessarily go to film school. I actually minored in cinema studies. Hmm. But for, because uh, I went to ISU, again, represent with my hat. Got you. Cardinals. <laughs> right, the Redbirds. So, it, so, we, so I watched that, but then I realized that it's a timeless film. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the, you know, I think a lot of the story, rather, is still relative today. Yeah, I mean, it's a repetitive loop in yeah, terms it's, of. It's sad. Yeah. Um, I actually just had a conversation with a friend and it was, it was based on Eddie Murphy and coming back with like, my name is Dolomite. And I'm like, yes, I'm so happy. And now everyone, you know, is kind of popping back up with him. But people still don't really know. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that Eddie Murphy did that film because one of the things that I don't want people to lose and lose sight of and that, and that, and also I say with the Wu-Tang saga, I've been watching that too. Cause I'm a big, I've always been a big Wu-Tang fan. I was a teenager when they came out. So, you know, that was, that was my group. Like, this is me. Right. And the thing is though, the two things that I think parallel with, with them in, in those in the, in the Wu-Tang saga that's on Hulu. And then also my name is Dolomite is the fact that, their, their come up, you know, their struggle, mm-hmm. everything they had to do, you know, doors were closed, you know, and they could have just easily said, you know, well, forget it. I'm just do this. You know, Dolomite, if you look it up, when he came out with the film Dolomite, he was almost 50 years old. Mm-hmm. So for somebody, you know, now being in the, in the entertainment industry, a lot of times they'll tell you, oh, man, you too old. Ages, I'm not age you out, yeah. But he became a star. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at at 48 years old I remember you know going back to my childhood and my father when we were uh, when we had a pool table in our basement and so we used to play pool my father taught me how to play pool I'm like 7 8 years old he used to always put these old school records on you know from you know the 60s 70s because mm-hmm. that sells his era and I remember he put on this record and it was this comedy record and I'm like and it was this raunchy comedy, and he like, man, don't tell your mother <laughs> I played that. And that was, and that was Eat Out more often. Mm-hmm. That was Rudy Ray Moore, and that's, and you know, I, I listened to that, and I listened to, you know, Richard Pryor. So that's also where the comedy side for me came. It was, it was loving to laugh. Right. 
So even even from there, like how you now are taking like your history, your own personal background, mm-hmm. experiences you had with your your dad, your family, mm-hmm. actual cinematic things that you really loved. Right. I mean, I'm over here looking at you, and I'm just mm-hmm. like. I don't even know how you had a time for it. You're a family man. You got movies. You got a whole day career. But you now have like multiple pieces under your under your belt. You have not another black movie, not another not another zombie movie. I know it's a tongue twist. I do that too. I got braces. That's what also just messed me up. No, it just messes me up. Period. Gotcha. And then you have stepdad's TV. So with first off, what is the process for that? Also, shout out to Jay, because I know he couldn't yeah, make it today. I know. So, Jay Davis, who's my partner in crime, oh yeah, you know, creative partner, and he is the writer for uh, pretty much all of this. I've, I've written a couple sketches on on Choke on that. but um, On what? Choke on that, the series. That's okay. how I, <laughs> I was like, I forgot that Choke one. on that, the series, that's on Amazon also. Okay. And, and we're... we're we're working on on season two right now. We're finishing up season two for that. We actually got sketches already shot, and we actually showed we showed a couple at the last premiere we had. But um, the process usually is sometimes we'll we'll talk about uh, certain topics. Sometimes we'll just have a conversation. Sometimes it'll be man, you know what happened to me at work today, man. Like, dude, I saw this thing that happened to me today, and it was like, ah. And and I'll sometimes I'll tell Jay some shit, and, and he'll be like, oh man, like that was that's crazy. And then uh, a couple of days later, I get a script, <laughs> and so and it's a it's a comedy sketch or whatever. So for for the sketches, you know, we get a little more, we get a little we get a little more edgy, uh, but we also. I think in in the later years, because we've been doing sketches for seven years. We've been doing sketches since two, since 2012, and so one of the things that that we do now is we try to to put more emphasis on certain social issues. Mm. We don't want to preach it to you. I don't, I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a fan of. Did you know that in 1983? <laughs> Three black men were severely beaten. Right. Like I don't want. To, we don't, don't need the PSA. I don't want, <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. Like who that just got heavy. Right. I don't want to do that. I want to. What I want to do is I want to. I, I, I want to make fun of a situation, but then at the end of the end of the sketch or whatever, you're gonna be like, "Well, wait a minute." Like it's something that'll catch you later on. It's mm-hmm. like a like an aftertaste, so to speak. So um, I think that's that's what we both are on the same page about that because I think when you watch like a, a Dave Chappelle and you go back and see you know what he did with the Chappelle show that's essentially what he was doing he mm-hmm. was he was hitting you with these situations and you know you got a, a white family called the nigger family <laughs> you know like when that when that was genius or the KKK member who yeah. was blind and then realized and, he was black right <laughs> and stuff like yeah so those things are those are you know what we call what if scenarios we we come up with what if scenarios what if well, what if this what if that so sometimes we we'll sit back and we'll have a conversation about certain things and then we'll come up with an idea for a sketch and I'll be like man you know what we should make a sketch out of that that sounds funny like we just came up with a funny one the other day which I don't want. I'm not gonna give it away because okay. it's it's. I don't think don't give too much of the it. It hasn't it hasn't been done. It hasn't it ha, it ha, I have not seen it, and that's the other thing. So I try to 
I, I, we want to try to do things that's different. We want to try and do things that we haven't seen anybody do. It's like we will be on the brink of doing something. And then if we see somebody else has done it, we're like, man, okay, that's all right. Let's try and let's see if we can do something different. So we try to keep it original, try to, you know, you know, keep it fresh. But at the same time, we still want you to think at the end. No, that I think that actually is what I don't want to say legitimizes, but case in point, I remember Debbie Allen, she made a point of um, there was one of these like TV one, you know, like IG pages. I was just Mm -hmm. doing a a recap or interview and she had said Mm -hmm. when she was writing or directing for a different world, Mm -hmm. she was like she didn't want it to be too slapsticky. She was like, you know, I'm not going to have a whole episode of them just doing buffoonery. Right. But what is the point? Like, comedy is great, but mm-hmm. what is also the message behind it? Right. You can have a serious aspect in comedy at, while you're trying to make people laugh. You're supposed, like, let's be real. Comedy takes a lot of times mm-hmm. really serious situations and through the laughter allows people to, you know, ingest something that typically shouldn't have to be dealt with. Like, even mm-hmm. when I think of Kevin Hart, mm-hmm. I, you can say whatever you want about him, right? But I think it was amazing and genius when he made laugh at my pain. Yeah. Because if you yeah. think about the situations mm-hmm. he's talking about, everyone in these stadiums are crying, laughing. Mm-hmm. But think about that little boy whose drug addicted dad just came to school yeah. and is embarrassing the hell out of him. Right. And that's and that's that's what's real. And I think people see that, but then they, they see that you can poke fun at yourself or laugh mm-hmm. at your situation that could have could have really. You know, it took you under. Yeah, it could have took you under, and so you know, a lot of times I think people are motivated by that as well. I like I like when people laugh because you know it's a genuine feeling. I think when people when people laugh at something, they genuinely feel good, mm-hmm. and it's even even in sadness if you can if you can laugh or like I like my grandmother you know passed away a few months ago. Oh, condolences, so, definitely. Thank you. And, and so, uh, you know, I was I was really close to my grandma, but at the funeral, <laughs> uh, I, me and my cousin got up and spoke, and I told my cousin, I mean, we we're known to be kind of like the clowns. <laughs> Not a fan. You know, if you right. see both of us, it's like yeah, everybody in family. As soon as we got up and walked up there, everybody started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it was like we Cause already I, cause know I, cause what I, y'all about to do. Because I told I told him beforehand. I said I'm gonna get up and speak, man. And I said um, I won't. Uh, I said I'm gonna lighten the mood a little bit. And so we did. You know, we did. We didn't. I, I people. Some people were mad at me because I was. <laughs> <laughs> you can't please of, everybody. Some of my like, family members were mad because I talked. I, and I and I put it. I, I tried to put it as best as I could. I, I used a conversation that me and my grandma, me and my grandmother were close. Mm-hmm. So I, I used a conversation that we had about, uh, and it caught, the conversation caught me off guard. Let me first say this because I was talking I gotta about, I got to hear the combo now. Yeah, yeah you do. <laughs> like, so I was talking, I was talking to her about, um, I was talking to her about like, I don't drink a lot. I drink, but I have like a, you know, I drink a couple beers every like during the game and stuff like that. And so I was saying, you know, I used to call her mom. I said, Mom, I said, I want to cut out. I'm going to start cutting out drinking because I don't, you know, I'm going to kind of tighten up my abs and stuff and mm-hmm. all this. And uh, she started telling me about when she used to go out with my grandfather and drink. My, my grandfather, keep in mind, 
and I probably should have added this. He he died before I was born. So mm-hmm. he, you know, and well before I was born in the sixties. And so uh so she was talking about when she used to go out and drink and drinking with him. See, I didn't say that part about they in the sixties. All I said was she talked about drinking. So people were like, You man, you should ask she was drinking. Like that's what she said. Right. <laughs> so she like, told don't have me. grandma at her like she was just drinking fifths all the right. time. That's what she told me. But she told me when she used to go out with him, she said he'd be having to pull me because I'd be hugging everybody, telling him I love him <laughs> and all this, and, you know. <laughs> and so, and I and and I said, you know, but she said, you know, that's who I. She said that's who I am. You know, whatever was in me came out, and I'm full of love. Mm-hmm. And so I told that story at the funeral, and I and and I, you know, and I and I and I wanted to lighten the mood and just, you know, people heard that, and I and I got to that point. And then they heard, you know, what I said after that, which was to describe the type of person she was. But just to say, you know, I just wanted to do something that was a little funny. I think that's important, though, especially like, number one, in heavy situations like that, Mm -hmm. because it's just like it. um, You you are having like one of the worst moments. And even though you coming together as a family, you Uh all feel like fucked up. Well, and then too, you know, type of person, I I know like my grandmother and I know how our our family is. And when we used to get together, we always had fun and laughing and joking. So Mm -hmm. I was like, that's what I want to do. Right. That's it. So, I mean, completely respect your other family members, but I'm like, yes. No, everybody else. There's only one person. I ain't gonna say no names, but (laughs) she's she's cool later on. (laughs) We was fine by the repass. I just got her a plate, and it was cool. Mm-hmm. That was our apology. But um, so looking at the fact that you, even if it is news, we know how politically mm-hmm. correct that can be. You can't really yep. have any sort of opinion. And even though you are behind um, the camera in the aspect, like, which mm-hmm. is great, right. you know, because right. you really don't have necessarily that type of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. But we all know in these corporate spaces, there's a handful of us. Right. Like, literally. Um, mm-hmm. How do you, you know, hope to change that narrative with your own production creative or with your own scene? Uh, well, one of the things I do every year is I've, for the last seven years, I've done career days uh, at different schools. So it started with my son's school. You was at Kenwood. Yep, I was. I remember that. I was like, okay, Broncos. <laughs> yep, yep. Okay. I was at, I did Kenwood the last three years, I think, yeah, three years I've done Kenwood uh, for King Holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, I started with my son's school. My son, when he went to Living Word Christian Academy when it was open in, uh, in, in Bellwood, I used to do, I went there and I had one of the, one of the teachers asked me, say, hey, would you be interested in doing career day for us? I'm like, okay. So went and did career day from every grade from Kindergarten all the way up to eighth grade. And when you have to talk to a kindergartner about what you do, that's the most difficult thing. You feel like a comedian bombing. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you, like, say so you're not a firefighter. Yeah, I mean, where's your gun? They like, just, they don't care. They don't care. They don't care what you do. Right. They're like, why are we here? <laughs> <laughs> like, they don't care. Isn't I'm looking it like, at, is I'm it like, nap so time? I, and I have to like sit back and I have to like think how am I going to talk to them? Because I can't say technical terms. Right. So I'd be like, I'm one of those guys that walks around with a camera. <laughs> I take like, pictures okay. of people. And they still looking at me like, 
so fortunately I had I had a DVD with music on it and all that stuff they could clap to and when I told my story it got them motivated a little bit but and I then, mean they five and then it didn't it didn't hurt that they partnered me up with somebody and she was uh, she worked at a morgue so, so wait wait they brought a mortician to these yes. babies yes they did they <laughs> and had, they partnered it with you or? they had well what they did was they paired us together with people she was. She worked at a at a more. She was a mortician. We ain't even gonna try and like bounce like media to advertising. I knew. Or... I knew when you know, if that's what it was. If I, as long as I went first, I was cool. <laughs> it was like, so if anyone was, I will. <laughs> right. Thank you. Because I'm like, you know, you you, you gonna kill the mood. Literally. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't gotta have no traumatized kids. Um, but no, that is dope. So you doing like career day and like mm-hmm. actively trying to give back. We gonna get to like where the hell you even find the time for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but even outside of that, like with you being a born and raised black man in this city, why do you think it's so important? You know, when you're doing these type of activities to serve as that voice for future generations. Uh, just because I know the situation that I was in. Mm. You know, I knew growing up that um, I'm fortunate. I'm very, very fortunate. My parents are still married. And my, my, you know, my parents have been together for 50 years. And I know everybody doesn't have that. Everybody doesn't have that those positive role models. And I'm, it's either father or mother. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I know that being in this position that I'm in, you know, I will want – I know when I was a kid, I would want to see somebody in that position. So I know the kids won't need to see somebody like me. It's, I think it's motivation. And I tell people, like, regardless – of how you feel about your position or what you do you are you are a role model you are an influence on somebody you know there's somebody who can look at you they can see your path and they can see you know the way you came up it's not necessarily going to be the way they're going to go but it can be inspirational to them mm-hmm. so. and that is true just in the fact of you even if you think kids aren't paying attention, they are paying attention. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I have definitely learned, and even with, with we all were kids once, the mm-hmm. fact is you can say whatever you want. They're going to follow what you do. Yeah. They, yeah. You could have mm-hmm. been on time 30 times straight. They're going to be, well, remember dad the one time. Yeah. You're like, damn, can I get yeah. some slack? But I think that's something that, it does kind of help keep, you know, that focus and that drive mm-hmm. in a sense because you do start to realize it's bigger than just, you know, my own personal gain. Right, right. It's it's huge. And I and like I say, you know, when I was younger, you didn't you know, you your dream is I wanna get to this level so I can, you know, have this, this, this and, and all these things in your life. But you don't think about, okay, when you get to that point, Okay, now that you started, you start achieving these things and having these things. What's next? Right. So what's next is you have to build on that. The only way, the best way you can build on that is the people who are coming behind you. So I mean, like any anybody that's looking to get into, you know, film and TV. A lot of times, I don't I don't hesitate to stop and like explain stuff or or take up time with somebody. We got we had behind the scenes people. We had. You know, people who are, you know, interns that were helping us out for a lot of these projects. And, you know, like I say, I don't hesitate to to help or give information to people, especially when I see, like, especially young black brothers who got to drive, even young black sisters who got to drive. When, I, when they got to drive. I was going to say, I was freezing my ass off. I know, I know you were. 
when you like when y'all when you have the drive, it's it's like, man, okay, this person is where I was at at one point. Mm-hmm. So let me go ahead and help them out and at least give them the type of information that I would have wanted somebody to give to me. And and even to those listening, I can honestly attest to that. Like we mm-hmm. all would be out there and be like, no, this is what this works. So yes, you mm-hmm. can sit in the van and stop freezing. <laughs> like, thank you, Jesus. But I think even when I look back on that situation, mm-hmm. what was humbling and really like amazing for me, mm-hmm. not every intern got to do that. True. That's true. That's yeah. I will also say that like, in turn, I remember one time, um, you know, my mentor at the time, she had even made the statement. She was like, you know, talking about this director who I wound up like working super close with mm-hmm. for all of these projects. She was like, she does not take interns to like work on stuff. Like right. you typically got to be a full time employee for mm-hmm. her to be like, fine, you can come on this as a stretch project. Exactly. So she's like the fact that she keeps bringing you back here, mm-hmm. you know, is an example of like, OK, people see that you do the work. And, and, and they see that. I think that's what's key is, you know, sometimes people always want to hook up, but understand that you can get a hookup, but you're going to have to do the work. Exactly. You know, at some point, you're just going to have to prove yourself. And I think that was a really big thing because everyone would just see the glam of like, oh, the yeah. the crossing the finish line or, <laughs> oh, we're, we're behind the scenes at the auto shop. Like, these are... 12 14 and 36 hour days like long days we we work some long days uh i've had some injuries <laughs> due really? to my day yeah i've had injuries due to my days uh i'm actually kind of i got a pinch oh, nerve yeah, that's right, right cause I, you, ooh, I got a, i got a pinch nerve now on my elbow okay yeah so but you know like How heavy are those cameras i've always wanted to know i mean our cameras are they're like 30 pounds uh yeah, it that thirty pounds. That's and, a two year old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what we have on our shoulder. It's a thirty pound camera, and and you would think they would have gotten lighter over the years because I've I've been doing this for sixteen years. It's going on seventeen. It was sixteen years, and when I started out, the camera that I started out with was a. It actually it shot on tape. It was a uh, was it a digital VHS camera. Okay. And then, uh, then I came up here and, and worked at CLTV, and we had uh, mini DV on our D, uh, DVC Pro, and also DVC Pro at NBC, and now we got solid state, you know, in technology where we don't use any tape. Right. And that's most cameras. That's mostly all cameras. If you if you're using a camera right now that has tape, you reconsider your life. Yeah, you probably uh, yeah. Something's wrong. Okay. You can probably just use your phone. <laughs> right. Get an iPhone 11, just yep. call it a day, exactly. leave it alone. Um, but no, so slightly like shifting gears, you know, with everything that you balance in the sense of you're, you're developing an even mm-hmm. bigger name for yourself now with your filmmaking skills. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely seeing you all are starting to like win awards and, and people yeah. are recognizing. Yeah, I'm going to LA. I'm going to LA in a few days. Hey, <laughs> you better get this better weather. Please yeah. bring some back. Nominated for another one. Yeah, how I'm, many do you have so far? Well, I got I got an Emmy and I got a HAPA, which is the Hollywood and African Prestigious Award, which I won last year. Okay. And I'm nominated for another one this year. Um, but I'm I'm going up against some fellow Chicagoans in this category, so it's going to be kind of tough. Uh, Just so, hug it out some, in Harold's afterward. Y'all be some, fine. Some guys I know. I mean, I know I'm good friends with okay. them, you know. So that's that's the cool part. Uh, so it's it's like if I if I don't win I I won't be disappointed because I know that 
that one of them is going to win or whatever. Like, one of us is going to win. The other guy that's not from Chicago, as long as he don't win. But, uh, <laughs> like, Just as long like, as we keep like, it within the region. Like, uh, right. Like, the state, please. Thank right. You. Like, that's, that's pretty much how I'm looking at it. But um, I'm more. <laughs> I'm, I'm more Whoever, I'm walking up on right. stage with all y'all, just so we're right. clear. Like, I but, was here for more. Yeah, the other, the other guys, uh, Mark Harris, he's he did Black and Privilege, which is on Netflix, so he's nominated. And then uh, Christopher Nolan, who did Pierre Jackson, which is also on Netflix, he, he's nominated as well. But um, uh, I think I'm more honored to be presenting because they actually have me presenting an award, which I'm like, they sent me, they sent me a letter. Like, I'm like, oh, y'all want me to present? Yes. I'm like, I'm, that's dope. And Vivica Fox is the host. Vivica Fox and Michael Blackson is the host. They're the host. So. Oh, that's really dope. Yes. Yeah, so I know like, you're over here like, yes, I got Frankie from Set It Off. Hey, I was just watching Set It Off yesterday. <laughs> okay. It was just on. That's what was called crazy. I was like, I get to meet her. Yes. There's a, no, I've heard like that she's really super nice. Yeah, um, I've met, heard nothing but good things I, about I met her. Wendy Raquel Robinson last year, and it was her and, and Todd Bridges. Oh, was, snap. Yeah. I'll be honest. Best moment I had. I actually got the most respect from my mama when I think about it. It was the wow. year I went to the Emmy, and she was <clears> like, <throat> you met DeBarge? She was so excited. Oh, wow. I met El DeBarge, and his voice really is that high. I'm oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You see, my just, voice went up that high. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was just a soft-spoken, as nice he wanted to be. I was like, my mother loves you, <laughs> but no. We met uh, last time I was in L.A., which was few months ago we we uh we were at this party and we met kid kid and play and kwame whose career was essentially his rap career was kind of ended by biggie's line his, in his rhyme and then uh money b of digital underground so we met a lot of hip-hop legends big les I was like, break that down. I was it was like, crazy. Yo, we, I, I got, I got. <laughs> I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. See, yeah, I got yo-yo, you know, can't play with okay, my yo-yo. Yeah, she just ain't yeah, take yeah. no picture with us because she's still trying to finish her drink. But uh, she's like, I'll take a picture after. Right. So we didn't get that pic. But Kid from Kid and Play, dude was cool. We tried, we were going to take a pic. And he, we hand our phone to this one cat. This one cat, he's like, no, I don't take pictures. Okay, Debo, like and, and, and kids like nigga, what's wrong with you? <laughs> he's like, like kid says this. We ain't say no. Like he's like, hold on, man. Like, let me get my let me get my guy over here to take the picture. Right. So kid has this guy take the picture, and he's like, all right, y'all might want to check it because his vision ain't the best. <laughs> so he's like, he's like, all right, we good. Right. But he was cool. So you know. A lot of the people can learn from from some of the older hip hop legends, man. You know they don't get the notoriety of a of a blue face or the baby of don't, people. All these people now. who are out here now. Hold on, here <clears> we <throat> go. Okay, so <clears throat> so, but the thoughts and opinions expressed after I do not support blueface. I good. Don't good. put him. Don't, don't put that in my generation. I'm just saying he is though. <laughs> you all have some in y'all's too. Yeah, we do. But old dirty. Is a lot better than Blueface. No, old dirty actually, like he could rhyme. Yeah, like we just, we characterize him for like his shenanigans at the end of his life mm-hmm. and like getting his you know link card check or what, what was it that at, social security but, check? Right, but at the end of the day, that's why people still talk about him. Exactly, and his I'm not his rhyme skill was off the chain. I, like I heard an interesting story 
last night. <clears throat> and sometimes I'm always, I just like wander around on YouTube. On I was on Vlad TV and uh, listened to Praz from uh, the Fugees mm -hmm. talk about when he did Ghetto Superstar. Right. And he said that, uh, he said Old Dirty got on there by accident. He said he was drunk. And he went, he, he ended up in the wrong recording studio. He thought he was somewhere else. <laughs> and made one of and he these. Said, and he said he thought he was somewhere else. And he says he heard the beat. And he was like, man, let me get on that. And he just jumped in and got on it and left. And then Prize was like, yeah, I'm going to erase this. And then then he erased it and he ended up, it ended up being a hit. He accidentally <laughs> walked into the booth. Of course he yeah, did. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, but, you know, so we had our characters. But I don't know, like, Blueface. He, well, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. We could be on a whole different show in yeah, terms of, like, the different I, I, I try, reasons. Yeah, I, I try to listen to some some younger, you know, rappers now. And, the baby actually has good flow. You got to give him that. Like, he can rap. He's decent. I mean, I, I listen to, you know, like, Chance and, and all of them, and I think, you know, he's he's good. Um I just think that the one issue I have with rap now is that there's no variety and everything sounds the same. <clears throat> I it think does. There, okay, but there it, still is a sound, I think, it, of the 90s. There's a sound. Well, I will a, say this. But Production also has something to do with that, though. But, yeah, production has a big thing to do with that because... You know, back in the day, I knew I was listening to Rough Riders if I was listening right. to everybody. To everybody wanted to have their own style, and I think that was the thing that was that I think people were original. They wanted to they wanted to have that originality, even within groups. Like they didn't want to sound like nobody else, mm -hmm. and so you you got mad if somebody was trying to. You felt like somebody was sounding like you. I'm gonna go after this dude because he sound he's trying to sound like me. Mm -hmm. Like now, that's what it is. But not just that. Like you say with the production. I can't tell who produced this beat or this beat or this beat unless I hear London on the track. Like that, that's <laughs> only like, like that's that's it. That's the only way you gonna know who did the track because that's it. They it's it's so they sound so similar. Wu, when Wu Tang came out, they sounded like nothing that was out. Same thing with Bone Thugs and Harmony. I yep. randomly was watching some old clip for Busy Bone being on the Breakfast Club, and yep. he was just like. Oh, our sound came from Motown. He was like, we actually started singing. I was like, wait, what? Then yeah, because like, that's they was in harmony, mm -hmm. and so that was a big thing. Was they had to kind of, you know, they start kind of singing like it was like a chant, and it was like almost like ominous, like just man, they but it was street. So if you was back then, that was the that was what the debate was back in the day was man who you rolling with you rolling with you know bone or you rolling with wu-tang man because like the in the street like chicago uh, we was it, we crucial was crucial conflict yeah so i mean everybody but they all still sounded different though so you even have brought this up even in your own mm -hmm. like um <clears throat> your own art artistic form fact of like you and jay like to be original if anything feels mm -hmm. too similar y'all exactly. are like no and yep. it makes sense now and clearly that is right. coming from, it's like, from where we coming from that era so right it was like no 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 ain't nobody biting nobody i mean even though style. we spoof we still the, the you know not another zombie movie not another black movie our spoofs it's still we try to make it original so here's my thing then, because, you know, I live for Toni Morrison. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to compare the two at all. Like, I mm. loved Maya Angelou as well. But I was crushed. 
crushed. Like Toni Morrison was my spirit animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I love to the fact of how there is any theme when you look at her, even in her interviews or even in the bodies of work that she did. Mm-hmm. It was basically like the ultimate FUBU moment of like, this mm-hmm. is for us by us. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm doing this to empower us. Same thing with like the James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. He was never trying to explain blackness to white people in the sense of like, mm-hmm. this is why you should give us a chance. He was always looking at it in the sense of like, mm-hmm. if you all get your shit together, then we can have a conversation. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to keep bringing up the fact that you all are causing these systematic issues. Right. So with you and your art form, you know, do you have the mindset that when you are making your pieces or your body to work, like, oh, I need white backing in order for this to succeed. Or are you just like, look, I just want this to be for us to really enjoy for our community. Well, I think one of the things that's different with us is we've, we've made a name being diverse, which is kind of unique. Uh, we made not another zombie movie, like the first day we were shooting, I shot it at my house mm-hmm. and I'm, we're in. We shoot. We're in the middle of shooting a scene at the, you know, at our, at my house. We're inside. So my PA comes in and he says, "Hey, my PA was white." He's like, "Man, you guys got any more release forms?" And I'm like, "I said, how many more release forms you need, man?" We, I said, I'm, "I made like 40." And I said, "We want like another like 10 or 15." Like, no, we need another 40. And I'm like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, there's a line going down the block." We had a hundred people, hundred and five people showed up that day. Oh wow! To be zombies and extras in the movie, and uh, it was uh, it was white, it was black, it was Asian, it was maybe not any Latinos, but we had, <laughs> but but we still we were trying to cover off on everybody. We had everybody, and so we so we from day one we've gotten the support of everybody, uh, even though we still are going to talk about black issues. You know, not another black movie was a different take on the black family film genre. Mm-hmm. You know, which Tyler Tyler Perry is, you know, a predominant predominantly filmmaker of that. But it was other people making those films. And we just wanted to spoof it because nobody's ever done it. Mm-hmm. That's it. It wasn't no particular reason. Uh, but at the at the same time, we do have a series of sketches on um, Choke on That called "Is This Racist." Well, we show how everybody can be racist, and we so we show like white people being racist. We show, you know, black people, Asian people being racist. You know what I'm saying? So, it's we show you know how Latinos can be racist. Mm-hmm. We point we pinpoint all this stuff out, but at the end of the day, I think you don't want to limit yourself because when we start when you start limiting yourself, it's like yes, Tyler Perry has made a very 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 good living off of you know doing what he does but yeah. everybody can't be tyler perry and that's that's what's key that's what people also have to remember is you can cater you can cater your projects to just black folks but just remember we had a black president who it wasn't just black people who voted him in right so you know what i'm saying like I mean, I'm, we came out like never before right but still, like, like i think the other thing with me just going back to what i was saying earlier like my father my father he owns and races horses and he's raced harness horse where well, he doesn't really race too much anymore because he's older but he's owned horses and raced horses been a horse racing business for 40 years over 40 years your dad on the show. like and, and yeah and so he um 
but he was in, he was inducted into the Illinois Harness Horseman's Hall of Fame a few years ago. There's a Hall of Fame. Yeah, there's a Illinois Harness Horseman's Hall of Fame because there's the Illinois Harness Horseman's Association. And he, see, I just past Secretariat. That was the only, and my dad did love watching the Triple mm-hmm. Crown. Like right, and so my father does the, the others. He does harness racing, which they have a you know, a bike hooked up to the right. horses and stuff like that. So. And he's raced at, you know, I grew up literally, I was on the west side, but used to be at all these racetracks, Sportsman's Park, Hawthorne, Belmoral, Maywood. I used to be at all these parks. And I used to even go around the state to different fairs that he used to race in. But um, when I did, one of the things I noticed was we was only blacks. Yeah. The thing that changed, like, I, I grew up just huge. Like, I was a huge Spike Lee fan. And growing up watching Spike Lee movies. I, I was totally, you know, I watched his movies and I thought, man, that's I want to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, but here's the thing. When I was a kid, one of the things that I, I think kind of made me see things differently, my father got into a bad accident back in like 1990 or something like that. I was like 11. And he got thrown like 20 feet from off the horse. It was on, it made the news. And, uh, so me and my mother had to go out to the track, and he he had minor injuries though. My father's bigger than me; he's like six two, like two something, you okay. know. But so he had minor injuries, and he's walking around on the track limping. And as I'm walking around on the track with him, you know, all these people are like, you know, my father's name is Jose. People are like, hey man, how are you doing? You okay? You okay? They were genuinely concerned, and it was all white people, and. When I saw that, it, it kind of it kind of changed something in me to say, okay, yeah, we we have a, we have an obligation to uplift ourselves, but you don't have to step on nobody because you don't want nobody doing that to you. Mm-hmm. You know, we have we have an obligation to you know enlighten our own. We do, and that's what we're gonna do. But at the same time, we also have to you know extend an olive branch too. You know what I'm saying? It's like I take. White people money, I can take black people money. Right. It is still green. But, Thank you. But we're not selling out. Right. So here's the thing. No, ain't no ain't no dress wearing and all that stuff. I you know, and I I, I don't I can't knock Tyler Perry for that because he didn't he didn't, he didn't it, I don't know why he gets like well he I get, do know why he gets the backlash for it to a certain extent. But I'm like Big Mama's House. Yeah. The Nutty Professor. But here's the thing, though. Those, like, Big Mama's House, The Nutty Professor, and Tyler Perry with Medea, those were their characters. And a lot, this is, this is where I, this is where I draw the line. All right. I like, I'm mad. I'm, I'm not mad at them. I'm not mad at Tyler Perry for doing that because when he explained the story of how he became Medea, that happened here. Right. You know, because the person that he actually had playing Medea didn't show up. <laughs> so he was like, what do I do? I got all these people here. I got Medea got to be here. So he became Medea. People loved it. You know, the rest is history. Thing I don't like is when you got dudes going on, on Instagram and going all, you know, doing it on purpose just because that's what they think people want to see. Or I also don't like it when, you know, somebody wants to do uh, uh, an exec wants to do that to you, especially to a black man, because we've been emasculated enough as it is. 
Okay. I can see that perspective. I think also, because you know how earlier, and we were talking about like the whole thing of like money and how leveraging mm-hmm. social media, like when I think of the blame it on Quays or the, mm-hmm. um, yeah, well, just other popular like mm-hmm. IG performers in that aspect. To me, there is the same comedic concept. And even from there, like he has like branched off, but mm-hmm. that is like those iconic roles. Yeah. I just think it's sometimes like, I will say it is interesting to see. I don't see that much on the other side. Like I don't see a ton of black women now. I've seen black women do it, but it's it's rare. I've seen black women who can do it. They it's just that they haven't. You know they don't have to know the right. Like I've seen like Vanessa Fraction and my girl Just Niche, who's funny. <laughs> She's very very funny. Right. I've seen them do like little stuff on online, and they and they do a really good job. But um, as a whole, no, you don't you don't see it. And so there's there's other thing I don't like about that. This is the biggest thing that I don't like about guys, especially I don't like guys wearing dresses, especially black guys wearing dresses, because it takes jobs away from black women. You could have black you could have black female comedians, and if you have a black guy in a dress, you you start to kind of take that away from them too. You could like that's I like this like Keenan Keenan Thompson's prime example. He doesn't do any female characters on SNL because of that because he realized like, wait a minute, y'all got me playing Maya Angelou and all these other people and y'all not giving any jobs to any black women. Got you because I'm playing it. Okay. Yeah. So I mean that was that's the other thing. But so I mean and I just I like I say it's the it's it's the two sides of that the emasculation and and then the fact that. You also are alienating the black women, black female comedians who could be working too, because it's a ton of them that's out here that's dope and funny as hell. Right. Okay. And so I can respect that aspect uh, or what you're saying in the sense of like it, it is like taking away from yeah, actual like, work from, from like, well, people, right. SAG affiliated people right. who need a shot as well yeah. and who are talented. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't actually didn't even consider from that perspective. Mm-hmm. I think now, and this is just my opinion. I personally. Whether you're doing it in terms of, you know, that's what's empowering to you. I have always just been a person of, like, live and let live. So Mm -hmm. I don't look at it. I understand our history. Mm -hmm. But I still kind of look at it as if that's your decision, then that's your decision. And here's the thing. Like, I mean, I clearly ain't going to be like, okay, we done. Cut the the camera or whatever. But I just feel like it's a thing of... Mm -hmm. I understand it on that aspect, but then I also have friends who are like at the same time, like who are transgender. So it's just like I've mm-hmm. I've heard their perspective as well on it. Mm-hmm. But I think it is just a thing of like when you come to it. That's different. That's different. I I'm I feel like that's different. Okay. Right. Because I feel like you transgender. That's that's different. That's who you are. I I don't. Then if you're doing it for this role. Yeah. So do you think that falls <clears throat> under then like the the buffoonery aspect that like Debbie Allen was saying. Yep. But okay, this is the only thing that I'm questioning. Cause remember the episode where Ron and Dwayne faked like they went on spring break mm-hmm. and Willie was trying to get it in with Julian, trying to knock boots, and mm-hmm. like Dwayne busted in because they was like, Man, these drug deals think like we these hot girls or whatever. So I'm like, I still remember it being in there. Yeah, and that so was, I think there's ways to do it. There's ways to do it, but I, what I'm saying is, it became a it became a thing. 
it gotcha. became it became a thing to where oh yeah we just gotta have a guy wearing a dress because every guy gotta put on a dress especially every black guy like it, it became a thing okay. i don't want it to be something that is becomes a prerequisite for for a guy to actually be you know in in movies and i and i've heard so many horror stories about hollywood and about you know guys having to compromise themselves in order to get to that next level who is that actor? He, I can see him. He was in White Chicks. He was the daddy from Everybody Hates Chris. People oh, clowned Terry the hell out. Thank you. People clowned him with that whole situation. But what we don't talk about well, is how common at times mm-hmm. it is in mm-hmm. terms of we always talk about the Me Too movement from a woman's perspective mm-hmm. of like a man taking advantage of a woman. But I'm like, mm-hmm. that also I have heard her stories of like mm-hmm. Young actors or young men having yeah. to deal with the same situations, like what you gonna do for this role? I've heard it too, and uh, I, I've heard that it's true from some guys who were in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I've heard, you know, during the Me Too movement, well, we're still in the Me Too movement, yeah. but I've heard from people who have worked in Hollywood that said that what we hear here is only 10% of what goes on. So, and this is. This is not. This is not even going across any color line. This is like black, white, whoever. Right. This is people just in general saying, "Man, this is what happens when you're out here and you got this." And they might say this. They might say people who've been in the industry, you know, whether it's music, whether it's you know film or TV, they said that this is stuff that's, that's kind of prevalent. And uh, you know, so like I say, even in that aspect, I don't, I don't want it to be a thing because I also know one thing: just being in in and communications, you know, we, we learned that you can control a narrative with what we do, what we put out there. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you people do have hidden agendas. You don't know what this production company or, you know, Harvey Weinstein, I'm, yep, I said his name. You don't know what, you know, somebody like that has in store or what they're trying to do or, you know, what, what type of message, hidden message they're trying to put out there. So... I mean, I think for me, and this is even just a segue, but I think that was something that really was starting to bother me in mm-hmm. general because when I was interning, you know, with this, this is literally when the Trayvon Martin situation happened. Mm-hmm. Then you had right after Mike Brown. Then it just seemed like wave after wave of like mm-hmm. just all this police brutality. And I remember getting like basically like, called out over a Facebook. Now, mind you, I was nobody's FTE, but it was mm-hmm. just a matter of like that, that when the scrutiny was reaching somebody on my level who was mm-hmm. contracted, you know? Yep. And I remember it being really frustrating because I felt like it, I was being stifled mm-hmm. based on something that was so what it was deeper than rap. Right. Or yeah. it was just like, people are really out here killing kids. Yeah. Tamir Rice had yeah. a play gun and y'all shot this little baby to kingdom come. Um, Jeffrey Epstein got a whole preteen sex fight club for years, and I ain't heard nothing since he I'm, killed himself. Right, and so it's just I always say this: if you're going to, and I completely agree you, in terms of controlling. You said since he killed himself, uh, well, since the media <laughs> allegedly, since, since yeah, that, that since they helped him kill himself, but yeah. um, but I think that's the thing. Like you were spot on when you say like controlling the narrative and the aspect, mm. and it, it's just a matter of it is sometimes you know balancing your mm. morals, things that like you can rock with versus what you can't. So right. I think also at times having that outlet. But I'm gonna tell you what else I don't like, and this is another thing. I know it's gonna sound crazy. I, I don't like 
a prevalence of hood movies. I get tired of seeing, uh, you know, young Jamal must escape the inner city <laughs> because his brother was shot. And uh, gotta be a bath got the, a drug deal gone wrong. And I and I get tired of that because it, we we've done it so much. I know that a lot of people live that lifestyle, but come on, man. Like let's let's talk about something else. Like everything, like some of the other movies that have come, that have come out that have shown like different lifestyles. Like I'm gonna say Moonlight. How and, yes, and, I, and mm. I'm you know what I saw by accident. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't. I you know what when I I ain't know necessarily what Moonlight was about, and then uh, I saw it, and then I was like, okay. I'm probably not gonna watch Moonlight again, but but okay. But but at the same time, how what I feel, what I felt about Moonlight is, as far as a movie, it was done very well. It was dope. It was it it told a story that needed to be told, and uh, because there, I'm I'm quite sure there are people out there who are living that type of life. And that type of black experience. I think, okay, so that aspect, for you to be a cisgender black man and say that. I don't even know this. I'm straight. Put, okay. <laughs> that, that's, that's it. Oh, Lord. Okay. Okay, So, yes. For you to be a straight. I'm old school, man. Right. He was like, I'm what? Old, I don't get with all that. I'm, I'm straight. Fine. Oh, I'm, so for I, got, the... I have gay friends. I'm straight. So that's cool. It's, it's cool to say straight. No, no. I don't. There's absolutely nothing wrong with saying that. that <laughs> I definitely like, are you straight or not? But the thing is, for the Encyclopedia Britannica fan base. Oh, like, for my people in the hood, I'm straight. <laughs> not with the C. <laughs> but no, I think um, you hit it on the head. The reason I had actually found out about Moon. I'm about to tell all my nerd cards now. But I had actually found out about Moonlight when it was about to be a stage play because I forget Terrius or Nash or whoever the, mm-hmm. the writer is for Moonlight. Um, he had received the MacArthur grant. Mm-hmm. And so if you ever watch like any type of PBS program, mm-hmm. you see all the rich white people that have donated money, mm-hmm. which actually side note to anyone in college or high school, if y'all ever trying to like, especially if you're in media or arts, leveraging credits Mm -hmm. along with LinkedIn was like, I was so good at that shit. I could figure out like Mm. basically who the, the production people were because it's all based off. It's, it's basically SAG processed. Yep. So you're watching like, okay, this is the person that's going to get the award for this shit. If it Mm -hmm. pops off or whatever. So just a little tidbit, but, um, I remember when he got the grant and even though I thought it was super dope the way that they tell the story, but I really remember sitting back and being like, anybody, even if you are super churched religious, I was like, you can watch this. And if for nothing else, mm-hmm. respect the fact that it's a different type of black story. I, I respect that. I, I, res- I definitely respect the fact that it's a different type of, of black story. It wasn't and the slate. I'm sorry. I'm was, not seeing I Harriet. Can't, I can't, I'm over right. it. I'm, I'm, th- I'm over that too. That's why I was just saying I'm tired of slave films. I'm tired of, you know, I didn't even watch Underground. My wife watched Underground and was like, you should watch, it's pretty good. I'm like, nah, I'm cool. I watched maybe like a couple episodes and I was like, yeah, I'm all right. I think, and it's not because I don't think of, it's an amazing story, but the thing is like, you, I'll put it this way. There's only one other slave story 
that you can get me to watch. And I don't even think people even realize how dope this brother was. He was a black man by the name of Masavana. Mm -hmm. He was an African king who, mm -hmm. you know, he got captured because we all know black people took part in the slave trade. Right. Yes, we get it. But he got captured by a rival, um, a rival tribe. And mm -hmm. I will never forget the historian made a great point that when it clicked, she was like, they might have started the psychological breakdown, mm -hmm. you know, when they got to the boat. But right. she's like, as soon as you get captured, you are still thinking as a free individual. Yep. So what was super dope was they took over the boat. Mm -hmm. They commandeered the boat, killed everybody for the most part on the ship. Yep. Um, they did wound up getting captured. Everyone else for the most part got killed, but they let him or not let him. They basically gave him life. Mm -hmm. Where on Robbins Island, which was the same prison that Nelson Mandela wound up being in centuries later. Yeah. That is the only slave story left that I yeah. want to see. And, I, you know, I was done after 12 years of slave. I didn't watch that. I watched it, and that was like, yeah, man, I think I'm done with slave movies. Because, you know, for me, I grew up, I, I taped Glory. <laughs> so, I remember. And I said taped. I was a kid. I actually watched Glory when I was about. That one tier. When I was like 10 years old. And for me, it was it was a it was a powerful movie. It was an inspirational movie, and yeah, it was about slaves and stuff like that, and 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 how we you know rose up and 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 we are patriots too in this country. We mm -hmm. helped fight for this country, and I remember reading that story in like an old Ebony magazine. But thing is, I think a lot of the movies now, it's it, they're not done with that same intent. They're they're done to get us riled up. Right. And I think that, you know, you know, you saw this black kid just get shot and killed by the police. Now you're going to see a movie about this dude that went through 12 years of getting beatings and getting called nigga. And all. like, what the, I don't want to see both. <laughs> I don't want to see both. I don't want to see the one. Right. But I think and even pulling, you know, how earlier you were talking about, like, why you choose comedy. Mm hmm. And I, because, you know, yep. I, I did real research, and you know, I was like, okay, I got you coming on here. What's some, like, pieces of film that really, like, mm -hmm. resonate? I think the most, the, the most similar one I found, mm -hmm. when they see us, is heartbreak. I refuse to watch it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I support the hell out of it, but I saw the Kim Burns documentary when I was, like, 18, 19, and mm -hmm. that was also the time mm -hmm. when um, 45 was on The Apprentice. Mm -hmm. So I remember being so disgusted because I was mm -hmm. like, I was nine months when that trial happened. Mm -hmm. But I remember looking at a whole bunch of black people, like the celebrities, everything on the show. I'm like, this man took a full page ad out to kill kids. Mm -hmm. I'm like, the youngest, uh, yeah. su not suicide, but the youngest um, death row victim ever in this country was a black child who got yeah. murdered in the electric chair, you know? Mm -hmm. But the difference of what I saw or what I was getting to is the Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence movie life mm -hmm. is the same concept of black men being mm -hmm. wrongfully imprisoned, yep. given completely ridiculous sentences, the chain game, which is nothing but, mm -hmm. you know, quotas that were put in place to keep black men from being able to vote, to keep equity out of black people's hands. Yep. But it was done in a way... You almost, when you think back, it's like, why were we laughing? Like, we, yeah, I mean, and yeah. I still laugh at life, but I'm like, it's fucked up how they yeah. spent their life in jail. It is. And, you know, but like I say, at the end of the day, man, you want to see people, you know, overcome or persevere. Right. Um, I think that as those stories, we still, we have to tell those stories, sadly. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I, you know, I know my heritage. Um, I've done my family like history research and stuff like that on both sides. Oh snap. And, Where are you from? Yeah. I, so I'm, well, I'm not, I don't, I ain't go back to Africa. I okay. know I'm just went back to slavery so far, but I know, you know, my, on my grandmother's side, cause I actually, you know, I want to interview her before she passed. She, um, she's part native American. Mm-hmm. And so I, I traced us back all the way to her grandfather. Who's in, in back? Who's born back in like the 1800s, um, and it's from Georgia. But also, when I went down to Atlanta this past summer, because I was doing all this research, I traced her back to her maiden name, and I went back to the actual town that she was born in. Oh wow! On her birthday. Oh, that's super dope. Okay, ancestral covering. And here's a here's a here's a the crazy thing. So the mayor of the town is a distant relative. He has the same, yeah, he has the maiden name of my great-grandmother. And so, yeah, he's a, he's a distant relative. We I'm are. Like, what's up, cuz? Let me hold $20. I called him. No, I called him. I literally, I, I went, I stopped by City Hall. It was small. City Hall could fit in here. Like, it's, <laughs> it was, I mean, it was like, I walked in and I was, I was sitting there like, man, I don't see any, you know, Confederate flags. Is this in the, the backwoods of Georgia? Right. And then I saw a white lady walk in, and she had a tattoo on with a heart with a Confederate flag inside the heart. I mean, ignorance is uh, bliss. Uh, you know, but so anyway, you know, but I, I got his number, called him. Well, I left a message, actually. He called me the next day, and we talked, and, and, you know, he was describing himself and, you know, some of our characteristics, everything down to our, our hair texture. And he's like, yeah, we've got similar hair texture. And they were telling me, yeah, you know, he, the mayor, he's busy. He does this, 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 and this. I was like, yeah, I could see he's related to me. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I don't get no sleep. But right. no. Um, and even rapping now, because, you know, we talk all the time in the sense of, like, super talkative. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you balance it? You got the day job, all of this. How many? You have a wife, a son, a daughter. Yep. Okay, so you got two kids. Two kids. Yes, all I got is two kids. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, congrats. Salute you, my man. But it's how do you balance all of that in terms of hell? I, I I don't think we talk about it enough. But it's like, how do you balance time for Dante? Like that's it, a lot of hats to wear and a lot of responsibilities. I think. I mean, you know, when you're a workaholic, man, it's just kind of like. I'm I'm always I've always been type even when I was a kid I just like I'll be sitting f- trying to figure out stuff or do stuff you know I'm that I'm I'm I was that kid like I told you I I'll be playing with Legos trying to figure out how can I build this I need to build this bigger or do this or do this or do this or draw this like I was always doing something and so I guess it's something similar to that now where I'm always doing something I'm always you know on my computer either you know, editing or writing or trying to figure something out. You know, before I I used to do a long time ago. I did beats. I did music beat. I did some rap beats. And yeah, I know. Okay, it, Chief Keith. I got a couple. I got a couple. No, don't call me Chief Keith. That dude, everything he wear look like a stink. Uh, I am okay. Hold so, on. but don't come to my house. Okay, <laughs> I don't deal with it. Yeah. But get something you don't want. Like every, you know, I actually got a couple. I got a couple uh, production credits. I did. I produced a couple of tracks with my homie. His name is Sewer Mouth. Some years ago. Let hold on. Let me get this straight. Chief Keith, but you produce for Sewer who? Sewer Mouth is not nowhere. He's nowhere near. He's his rhyme skills are. 
I am elite. not shading his rhyme skills. I'm just saying. Chief Keith, you just say he sounds like you said, but you got a man. I don't know. Sir. I didn't say sound. I say look oh, like look everything like- he wears stinks. Okay, fine. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, yeah, no, but I got a couple. So I had a couple joints that I, I produced for him. And I and I originally didn't even get into doing music for that reason. I got into doing music for the simple fact of um I that I wanted to just have music, original music for my soundtracks for movies. Right. So uh-huh. that was it. Keep it in the family. All the tracks. Yeah. But then people liked it. They just liked, you know, guys were like, man, these beats are dope, man. Like, they were comparing some some of the stuff I was doing to what Kanye was doing. Because you got to remember, I was starting to do beats around the early 2000s, around time that he was hot. Who? I said Kanye. Okay. That name sounds familiar. <laughs> so It's been a while since, though, we've worked together. But okay. That's yeah. great. <laughs> but yeah so you know but you know I, I eventually stopped doing that because like you say how you have you balance it where i had to give something up All right and so i gave i stopped doing that and just started focusing more so on filmmaking and and putting out what we do now so well let me just say this um uh, Definitely super happy to have had you on the show to talk about all of the, the things that you were doing, how you're balancing it, the reason why. I think it's it clearly shows when you are around people that's doing it because it's like the cloud where it's like, man, I'm just trying to get on. Like if Will Smith mm-hmm. just at me, it's a fucking rap, you know, versus people that it's like, this is my passion mm-hmm. because there's no way that you would have all of these responsibilities. And if you didn't truly care about this, mm-hmm. would now be staying up doing the, the 10,000 plus hours, you know? Right. Um, so let me just say, I'm super, super happy to have had you on the show. Thank I want to go to the next premiere. Or okay, that's whatever, actually like. going to be pretty soon because we are planning one on December first. Yay! So yeah, so we are we we just planning that one out right now. Yay! I'll be back in Chicago. I'm doing a little. That's a Sunday, so we'll you'll be seeing more information about it in the weeks. Okay, on the ahead. Lord's Day. Well, I don't go to church. That works. That's fine. This okay. is it's after church hours. Oh, cool! Perfect. Okay. So y'all good. I can give me a little TV Jesus and then roll mm-hmm. through. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Super supportive of everything that you're doing. I think it's amazing to see black filmmakers coming through, thank really you. showing their own perspective. So thanks for being on, Dante. Man, I'm happy to have been on. Yay! <laughs> All right, bye guys. Hey everybody, it's your girl Joy has questions and for today's motivational message, I just want to keep this short and sweet like I always do and that is please take the time to appreciate all that you have overcome and accomplished in this past decade. It doesn't matter if you don't feel you're where you're supposed to be as long as you are not where you were. Progress is the point, people. Look at the progress that you have made in your life. We do it all the time with these challenges and look at us then and ooh the glow up but we never really think about that in terms of mentally what we have overcome emotionally spiritually physically financially really evolve into that next level of greatness and even if you don't have the career that you want the relationship that you want the financial stability that you want the family look that is completely okay Life is a variety of colors and moments and you don't have to worry about being anyone other than yourself. You have absolutely nothing to prove. 
This world is enough to try to make us feel unwanted and less than. So let's not add to that negative concept by having our own insecurities and unresolved trauma thwart all the beauty that we bring, all the je ne sais quoi that we possess, all of those little nuances that only you, yourself, and I are bringing to the table. Let's make this next decade even better than before, and let's be sure to stand firm in the fact that we are our own best thing. I look forward to talking to you all later on, and as always, it's your girl Joy Has Questions, out.